Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Alan Carl. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schmutz. Brett Tax. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Russ. Jeremy Creaker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Said Simon. Elizabeth Martin. And this is Jim Martin wishing you a happy new year from Adventure Rider Radio. It's the last day of 2015. We are rolling into 2016 with a lot of energy and excitement. So stick around while we look back on 2015. Well, we're winding down 2015. As a matter of fact, we're into the last day of 2015 and about to switch over to 2016. It's a pretty exciting time. I don't know why. It's really weird. We get all excited about leaving one year and going into the next. I think it's to do with possibility, isn't it? It's, it's to do with what can we make this new year that we didn't get out of the old year. I don't know what you use for a visual representation, but I use, like, I mean, for the calendar, you know, for the changeover of the year, but I sort of use a, a book in my head. And, and I guess you could say the book would have to be one of those ones with the spiral bindings, the, the wires where you can flip the pages right around. So when you get to the end, you flip in the last page and then the next page you flip up is the start of the book again. And you're, you're sort of back to it again to the next year. Well, let's have a look at the old year, for instance, and and see what we did get from it. Looking back on 2015, it's been an incredible, fun and interesting year here at Adventure Rider Radio. We've had loads of great guests over the past 12 months, and we've covered many topics from winter motorcycle riding to in-depth looks at our motorcycle suspension and setting up our suspension, right on through to bike security while traveling and, and just so much more. And the personal stories from travelers have been fun, enlightening, and most of all, inspirational. I think that's the part that I like the most, is the inspirational part of the stories that we get here on Adventure Rider Radio. I think it's easy for us to get bogged down in life with all the routine and bustle that threatens to fill our every waking moment. So I like those inspirational stories. Uh, I especially like those that, that open a new view, that sort of show you the world through a window that you've never looked at before. And it, and it helps shake us awake from our routine-driven slumber and, and fuel our imagination, even if for something small, not necessarily a, a huge thing. You don't have to change your life completely, but even if it inspires you to get out on a weekend, that's what I really like. So stick with us, and let's take a look back at 2015. Coming up in just a minute. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter, too, at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and get this, it has a lifetime warranty, which is brand new. Best Rest also makes tire changing and tire repair kits that are small enough to fit in your saddlebag, and the crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves. They know what you need when you're 
out exploring the world. Visit them at cyclepump.com. That's cyclepump.com. Well, we started out last year, early at least, talking about riding motorcycles in the winter. And that's a given because we start each year in the winter and we end each year in the winter, which is kind of odd here, at least for North America, if you think about it. And we weren't talking about riding motorcycles in Florida or somewhere warm. No, we found people who enjoyed riding their motorcycles and traveling through the snow. One of them was going across Canada on a Honda step-through motorcycle. Matter of fact, a pair of them, Ed March and Rachel Lasham. Ed March has been traveling the world on his Honda Super Cup, a C90, and he's been posting videos the entire time, and he has a a load of followers watching what he does, and he's kind of crazy and fun. And now he's with Rachel Lasham, who's also, well, kind of crazy and fun, as you're going to get from this interview. I think the best way to introduce them is to play this little soundbite from a video he's posted on YouTube about checking how the tongue sticks to a frozen pole. We've always wanted to know what happens if you lick the lamppost at minus 15. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> mm, mm, oh no. Uh. <laughs> mm. Ow! <laughs> I'm actually stuck. Uh oh. What do I do? Mm. Uh, this is a problem. <laughs> Ow. Right, never do that. All the way back. You uh, you found that the cheap repairs made it very affordable, made everything uh, a non-issue that would be a catastrophic thing for other riders. And is that what kept you riding the Honda C90 through the rest of your adventures? Um, Within reason, yeah. Um, the main thing that I really started to like about taking a taking a little small friendly bike um is the attitudes that you get from people like when i was riding through little villages in the middle of cambodia and vietnam i'd pull up at a set of traffic lights next to like a hundred other honda c90s and as they would look at me and they'd look at my bike and they'd realize that like i'm the same as them um i'm at their level um i'm completely relatable and they're sort of looking at my bike and they're going like wow i could do that and this guy is probably a normal guy you know because he isn't flashy and i can and i can comprehend the amount of money that he has whereas um you know and uh, every time i got to a border crossing i never had a border guard ask me for any bribes because if you've seen a picture of my bike and the amount of rust that's on it um nobody is expecting me to have any money um and you know you'd like rock up at a hotel in the middle of nowhere and ask if they've got a cheap room and they'll look at my bike and go oh yeah okay Whereas if, if I were to rock up on a bike that's like 10 years of their salary, um, more often than not, um, in my opinion, you'd, you, you'd end up with what I call Ferrari syndrome, which is where if you drive a Ferrari around the US, you'd be seen to uh, probably not be, not be such a nice or um, relatable guy. Um, but driving a Ferrari shouldn't, shouldn't actually make you that kind of a person. But people just look at it and they think, why is that guy driving around that thing that's so flashy? Um, and yeah, the reason I ride my little bike is because that just doesn't happen really. People just look at the bike and they just smile. 
Most people, when they're making uh, adventures for motorcycles, head to somewhere it's warm. Matter of fact, I, I think the, the common <laughs> mantra is that if it's getting too cold, you go somewhere where it's warm. Have you ever been checked, Ed? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the heat. Like who on earth heads to the Arctic Circle in the wintertime on purpose? Um, well, uh, I just wanted the challenge. I wanted to see what what I'm capable of and also um, what the little Honda C90 is capable of. I rode through the great Indian desert when it was 45 degrees uh, above. So I thought, well, let's see if a, let's see if a Honda will start when it's 45 below. 45 degrees above Celsius is about 113 Fahrenheit and minus 45 degrees Celsius is about minus 49 Fahrenheit. That was Ed March and Rachel Lasham from the episode called Ride the World on a Honda C90 Motorbike. Ed and Rachel aren't the only ones that enjoyed riding in the winter. Doris Wiedemann really enjoyed the winter. As a matter of fact, I think she said she preferred winter riding on her motorcycle over summer. I'm Doris Wiedemann. I'm from Germany. And I'm a journalist and author. And I do motorcycle travels around the world. I did. And I will do. (laughs) And here Doris describes how she fell in love with riding in the winter. And when I came across Russia on my way back from Korea and Japan, I was caught up by winter snow and ice as well. And at that time, I was not properly equipped to do that. But I really liked it (laughs) because (laughs) the scenery is just so different. And it's really interesting that also people react totally different, you know. When in summer, people would uh, not even, you know, see you being on a motorcycle in winter it's like hey what are you doing (laughs) and you meet people you would never meet in summer doris wiedemann from the episode it's snowing perfect riding weather ed march rachel lasham and doris wiedemann are not the only people that enjoy getting out in the wintertime on their motorcycles as a matter of fact in the east where the snow and ice get a firm grip on the land and prevent most motorcyclists from enjoying their bikes for at least for the winter Max Stratton of Max BMW is out racing motorcycles on the ice. And it's not just adventure bikes, it's street bikes, just about anything at all that he says that they can put studs into. Unfortunately, where we are, um, the weather conditions don't always uh, favor motorcycling. So um, luckily, they, uh, you know, there's tires available and, and, and uh, lots of snowmobile trails where we are. Uh, so we usually get out uh, on those and, and run all winter. And then we also... Um, because of uh, some of my past with automotive, uh, I used to ice race cars, and uh, I team up with the uh, automobile ice racing club on Mondays or late on Sunday afternoons. We're able to use their their uh, road racing courses on the lake, and uh, we get out on. We use S1000RRs. We use HP2s. We uh, whatever we can put screws and tires. We uh, go out and run them uh, just for fun. That was Max Stratton from Mushers and Motorcycles, the 9-Minute Moto Film Festival. Speaking of the 9-Minute Film Festival, that's definitely an episode you want to listen to because it is the place for you to air or show your boring helmet cam footage, hopefully edited down to a 9-minute a interesting piece. But... That's not the only place. There's other other things you can do with your video, and, and everyone likes to film, so something we covered was filming your adventure and selling that film for television, becoming a star like Ewan and Charlie. 
This is Graham Hoskins from the episode. Graham Hoskins, TV personality, talks about how to film and sell your motorbike adventure. Graham Hoskins is well known for the UK television series World's Best Biking Adventures, and he's also the host of the internet motorcycle show Adventure Bike TV. I spoke with Graham from his home in the TV, UK. And I, I just couldn't get my way into it. And somebody actually gave me some really good advice. And it was it was one of the producers a long way around who I managed to call her at a bike show. And he said to me, if you really, really want to do it, he said, you, you won't get a commission because you've got no experience. He said, but just go and do it, have fun, and film it. And he said, think about what you're filming. And he gave me some advice and some tips. He said, think about what you're filming, but just overall have fun because that'll come out on camera. Make it interesting because it's going to be adventurous. He said, and then if, it's, if it is good, when you come back, someone will take it. And that's actually what happened. And for those of you who aren't into making a television production or a movie of you, the star, Alex Chacon has some great tips for YouTube videos because Alex knows a lot about them since he's the one that really started that whole selfie video thing, you know, where the camera's on a pole and he's turning around. He's got videos out there that millions of people have seen, and he keeps coming up with new ones all the time. This is Alex on the episode Alex Chacon Viral Adventure Motorbike Videos. I'd always been curious about the world since I was a little kid. I'd always look at the globe in elementary school and I would always wonder, what does Lake Titicaca look like? So, you know, Titi obviously has a context, and then Kaka in Spanish has a context. The most hilarious thing to me in the world uh, to just, you know, repeat that word over and over again. Titicaca, titicaca. So one day I promised myself I would actually go and see if it was full of what it truly meant. And um, I chose to satisfy it. So I sold everything I had, including my car, my TV, my clothes. Um, and I just took off. I, I sold everything. I, I, le- I left with basically everything that I owned on the motorcycle and the KLR, and I just took off from Texas. And I really thought I was only going to leave for about three months. I thought I had fun for three months or four months, and uh, I would just take off. And I was just a free spirit going to just test the waters and see the world and help contribute to a worthy cause at the same time. And that trip ended up taking me... Um, you know, 500 days from Alaska to Argentina and then around the world. Yeah, but to be uh, fair, I mean, you even said that you spent, uh, you know, two years filming the one video. It's not even just looking it up. It's actually putting the time in, isn't it? Because anyone can look it up and sort of, you know, mess with it a little bit. But to really get something good, you've, you've got to devote the time. You have to put in the due diligence. Absolutely. And I think the epic selfie video, in total, I must have spent over six and seven, or seven months editing that video. Uh, after I got back. It literally took almost a whole year to edit that video because there was so much great footage. Um, but the great thing about it is now I have extra footage. So now, uh, thanks to the success of that, when I have a, a around, the, the, around the world in 360 degrees, what it was originally called, uh, now it's called the three-year epic selfie, um, now I have the second version coming out from all the extra footage that I had and all the new trips that I did. So the good thing about having so much footage is that you can always kind of reuse it. Alex had a lot of great tips for filming for YouTube in that episode. But, you know, many will say that this whole adventure travel by motorcycle thing was sparked by the classic book, Jupiter's Travels, written by Ted Simon. It's one of the most 
purchased motorcycle travel books ever written. It's been around for, I think, 40 years. It's always been in print. It remains in print. It remains in demand. And it's it, the one book that seems to be a common thread for most motorcyclists who are into any sort of travel. This is Ted Simon. Uh, I'm very happy to be here on Adventure Rider Radio. I'm at my home in California in, in uh, Round Valley, which is uh, in Mendocino County. Today we have a real special show for you. It's a tribute to Ted Simon, because it's his birthday. Today, Ted turns 84. Back in 1973, Ted Simon set out on a round-the-world trip on a 500cc Triumph Tiger 100 motorcycle. For four years, he traveled over 64,000 miles, that's over 103,000 kilometers, and he went through 45 countries. He detailed his adventures in a book he called Jupiter's Travels. Well, Jupiter's Travels has been a hot-selling book since the day it was published. Forty years later, it's still in print and still in high demand, and If you've been around the adventure motorcycle industry very long, you definitely know who Ted Simon is. Was there a catalyst, like a book or experience, that gave you the idea to ride the motorcycle around the world? Was there there some sort of thing that, that started that going? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I can't. I've never been able to answer that. I have no heroes. I've got no no models. I have no 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 idea at all. I can, it, maybe I've repressed it. I, I doubt it, though. I can't think. I can't think of any any anything at all. I simply was sitting in a room one afternoon, and I, I was actually watching a television program, uh, a BBC documentary. This was in 1973. You may remember, or no, you won't remember. Um, in 1973, uh, the people in the West had really almost got past the war and austerity and all those things, and we were beginning to feel pretty affluent. And at that point, we began to worry about the poor people of the world, poverty. Uh, we started to pay attention to um, famines in Ethiopia and so on. And uh, and there was a BBC documentary about um, poverty. And there was uh, an episode I was watching from some islands in the South Pacific where people were supposed to be in dreadful poverty. And what I saw on the screen were pictures of very strong-looking brown-skinned men coming out of the out of the sea carrying huge amounts of fish and behind them were forests laden with fruit and 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 none of them looked poor and none of them looked miserable and i thought there's something wrong with this picture and uh, it just suddenly reignited a a feeling that i'd obviously had uh, for for quite some time that i simply couldn't go on living in a world that I hadn't visited, um, that I really needed to see it for myself. And because I'd been living in relative poverty myself in this ruin, I mean, I wasn't earning much money. I was spending most of my time 
building for no reason, for no profit whatsoever, and uh, just did enough work to buy the the cement and the the mortar and the and the uh, uh, few things that I needed to do the job, um, and was extremely happy. Uh, I realized that being poor didn't mean automatically that you'd be miserable. Um, and I thought, I've got to find out about this. And it was literally that afternoon as I was thinking, well, what can I do? I, I really need to go out into the world. How can I do it? And I thought, well, the best thing would be to get somebody to commission me to do it um, and write a book. And what would that book be about? And how would I do the journey? And uh, I thought of all the various ways one could make a journey like that. And it suddenly struck me that doing it on a motorcycle might be an extremely good idea, a good way to do it, and also um, possibly a very a, a pioneering way that I'd never heard of anybody doing anything like that on a motorcycle. I'd never heard of anybody going anywhere on a, on a motorcycle, actually. Um, and that's when I decided to do it, right then, then and there. And Ted Simon may have sparked it all, but other people have taken that one step further, living off their motorcycles for the entire year. We had Scotty Corex and Michelle Hope on our show this year, and both of them live off their motorcycles full time. Today you're going to meet someone who's lived on the road for over 21 years with over 530,000 miles on the Harley-Davidson Electric Glide. Yeah, I think it was in 1991 I set out for my first month-long trip. And came back, and after that, back to San Diego, and after that, I was gone the next two summers, all summer long. And you know what happened? Jim had run out of money, and I keep going. <laughs> and I don't know how that worked. I kind of found the road to be self-perpetuating. Once I stopped, it was hard to get back on it, but as long as I stayed on it, it was hard to keep going. And uh, so I did that for two years, and in the spring of 94, and you know what happened, man? I started hating coming home. Then I started hating being home. And uh, so in the spring of 94, I took off to see if I could stay gone for a year. In the spring of 95, I came back, liquidated everything I owned. And I've been on the road ever since then. But I'm going to tell you. name says it all. But when you hear Michelle Hope speak, it really instills in us the possibilities of throwing caution to the wind and choosing to live our life to the fullest. And that may be different for everyone. But for Michelle, who had done the 9-to-5 job and raised her kids, it meant living like a gypsy, living on the road from her motorcycle. When Michelle met Scooter Tramp Scotty, who we had on this show a couple episodes ago, he'd been traveling on his bike for massage work on the road. She travels with her companion, Tulane, who sits on her gas tank. And the road is the only home Michelle knows and the only home she wants to know for as long as she can. Before I decided to hit the road on a motorcycle, I was working in corporate America in New York City. Thought I had found my dream job. I moved from California to New York and I thought, this is it. This is the job I've dreamed of. But I ended up in therapy, actually, <laughs> the last um, year I worked there because corporate America was not the place that I belonged. So when I fell in love with motorcycle travel, was going. I went by myself from um, New Orleans to a small town in South Carolina. And it was in autumn. All of the leaves were red and orange and yellow. And I just realized at that time, I'm almost gonna cry, that it was like live. 
If I would have driven that in a car, it would have been like watching TV. But I was riding through it and the smells and the sights and I was in it and it was alive. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. This is it. I'll be back in just a minute with more. But first, I want you to, if you're sitting by your computer, I want you to type in this web address, www.arrowstitch.com forward slash ARR. And this is how you're going to spell Arrowstitch if you don't know already. www.aerostich.com and then forward slash ARR. Or if you're just Googling their site, you just go to their site and then put in the URL forward slash ARR. And that way they know that you came from here. But that's not all. You're also going to get, by doing that, you're going to get 10% off your first-time order if you're a first-time shopper there. Or if you're a returning customer, you're going to get your next um, purchase with free shipping. So either way, you're going to get something good by putting in the forward slash ARR, so make sure you do it. But the other thing I want you to do is go there and check out their catalog. Uh, You can download their catalog. Um, online there, and uh, th- that's no charge. I think if you order the catalog, you, you put out $5 if you're just ordering it as it is, and then I think they take that $5 off of your, your next order that you do. It'll be money well spent, I'll tell you, because I'm holding it in my hand right now. There's tons of great stuff in here. I mean, I went on the, with this stuff before, but I just sort of flipping through today, and I see the um, the messenger bag, and this is something... I don't have a messenger bag, but I'll tell you, I would certainly like to have one because they look like the ideal thing, especially for, you know, when you're, you're flipping something on fast, a buzz to the store. It seems like, you know, to, to go through the hassle, at least for my bags being their soft bags, it's a bit of a hassle to unbuckle them all and throw something in. Whereas, and especially if you're carrying something in, you know, you're taking your computer or your bags into the library or for a meeting or something, it's much easier if you've got a bag thrown over your shoulder. And these messenger bags they make are absolutely phenomenal. They've been making them for a long time. Um, in their catalog, they've got an explanation here about uh, the bags and how they got into it. And they started making them back when nobody else was doing it. In 1985, apparently, there was only two companies offering um, bags and small runs for people who were using them for messenger bags, just that. But now they're more widely used. And they've got quite a variety of them here. Um, nice bags, single strap. You throw them over your shoulder. You know, they sit across your shoulder. Easy to take on and off. And, um, well, what can I say? Aerostitch quality. Um, they, they have really high quality stuff. And while I'm mentioning Aerostitch, I'm, I'm going to tell you again about their R3 uh, Roadcrafter riding suit deal they've got. They've got this guarantee on where you can buy the Roadcrafter riding suit, you can use it for 30 days, and if you're not riding more in those 30 days, you can return it and, and get a no questions return your money back. And like I've said before, it really says something. When they're saying that you're going to be riding more, they're not telling you how great you're going to look in it and, and all of this sort of thing. They're telling you, this, this is bare facts, you're going to ride your motorcycle more. And isn't that what you want? You want to ride more. When somebody has a, a suit of that quality, well, to me, that's where you go. And um, when you drop by their website, you'll see they've got all kinds of options for the suits. And they do all uh, modifications as well. So if you, if you have something in particular you want done to your suit, I mean, th- this is a company that makes the suits. This is what they do. So you can have it modified. They've got the modifications right there in the catalog that you can go through and you can choose your colors and what mods you want done. You can have the thing basically made specifically for you. And they can even do mods after the fact. But what I read in here was that it's it's better to do it when, um, when you're ordering it. On top of that, they do repairs and they even do crash repairs. They've got a, a page in their catalog, uh, at least one of these pages, where they talk about this, doing crash repairs. And they even give you an idea of what crashes end up costing, you know, depending on the speed you went down at. 
But that's really interesting because they're making the products. They're not just selling it to you, but they're there after the fact as well, you know, servicing you down the road as you wear it and as you um, damage it to get it repaired. So I really think it says something about AeroStitch quality. I think you're going to be very pleased with them. I certainly am. AeroStitch.com forward slash ARR. Drop by their website, order their catalog, and check out some great riding gear. Now, don't forget, that's aerostitch.com forward slash ARR, because when you go to the ARR, you get the special discount. 10% off for first-time buyers of, of whatever your order is. Now, think about it. If you're ordering a riding suit, that's a considerable chunk of money. Definitely something you want to check out. Anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. So in this past year, we've covered all of this. We've covered people riding with motorcycles with sidecars, people riding with dogs as pillions. We talked about riding two up or riding by yourself and and what were the pros and cons of each. And we also got into a lot of technical things. For instance, we, we tackled technical topics like motorcycle suspension. And with the help of some experts in the field, we managed to get a full rundown on that in particular. On this episode of Adventure Rider Radio, well, you're in for a shock. I'm Jim Martin, and I already said this. This is Adventure Rider Radio. We're going to talk with Ted Porter from the Beamer Shop, and Ted is an absolute expert on motorcycle suspension, in particular, adventure motorcycle suspension. So there's a lot to hear coming up. Why would anyone replace that stock suspension? Well, there's a variety of reasons. First of all, even people who might be satisfied with the stock suspension, um, in in time, that stock shock is going to wear, and they are not very serviceable. Uh, In fact, when they're manufactured, it's pretty much expected that they that it is a replaceable item not a rebuildable item and so once you get 25 30 35,000 miles on the stock shock they get pretty tired um, but I, we have many customers that replace their shocks from day one because they understand that the stock shock is a not always going to give you the best performance and B may not be set up correctly for your loads and that's a big one you know if you look at the aftermarket shocks that we sell there'll be five or six spring choices for that shock, whereas the stock shock, of course, only has one spring choice. And you may or may not fit that spring, uh, spring rate that's on that stock shock. So that's a, that's a big one. Uh, quite often, <clears throat> the shocks are not set up correctly for the loads that the, that the, the people are riding with. A lot of people will say, okay, well, I've got an adjuster on my shock. I can set it for, you know, whether I have no load or a full load, what more do I need? Yeah, it's a good good question. Uh, The reality is that the spring preload, of course, is there to add spring tension to restore your sag, to lift the bike back up, uh, to correct ride height. after After you add loads to it, but it doesn't change the rate of the spring. For example, if we take an R1200GS, uh, that shock is delivered with a 140 newton meter spring. And that's good if you're, let's say, a 200 pound guy or less. With that additional preload that's available in your adjuster, you might get another 70, 80 pounds, maybe if we stretch it, maybe 100 pounds on the bike and still restore your sag. But there is a point at which. The, the sag starts to go down uh, to uh, incorrect levels, even with the preloader up all the way, because the spring rate is simply too soft. 
you know, if you're a 240, 250 pound guy, you might need a 160 or a 170 newton meter spring. Uh, so just adding preload to that 140 newton meter spring is not going to get you where you need to be. I've sort of come up with this idea of the that it's sort of a, a cookie cutter thing when they're making the motorcycles. They they make them so they're cookie cutter, of course, and that's manufacturing. And the, how they figure out what to set it at or what devices to build into the motorcycle is they use an average and maybe right. some testers' uh, experience as well. But most of us, almost nobody really fits an average, do they? I mean, imagine going to, to buy a pair of pants and somebody handing us a pair of pants and saying, okay, there you go, there's the average size. Well, that's a good point. And in fact, I use the shoe store analogy. Imagine that um, you go to the shoe store and they only sell size 9 men's shoes. So if you're a size 9, then you're fine. But, but if you're a size 10 or 11 or any other, obviously the, the, the shoe's not going to fit you correctly. And it's the same way with the shock spring, the, the, the rate of the shock, the way the shock's set up uh, for an average and the average that they have chosen for quite some time has been, at least many of the manufacturers, um, is 85 kilogram, which is 187 pounds. So for people who are in that weight range, the stock shock, at least as far as SAG is concerned, will work pretty well. But um, that's a pretty small percentage, I have found, of the adventure bike riders who tend to be a little bit larger than that, generally speaking. And that was an excerpt from Ted Porter's input for our suspension episodes. And don't forget, there's two episodes for that, for the suspension that we did. And very in-depth, there was a load of information in there. And you'll probably be surprised when you listen to it because there's some things in there that may, um, may totally run contrary to what you'd thought beforehand. We didn't just stop there with technical pieces. We did quite a few of them. And one that was quite interesting was we covered spoked wheels. And it's a big question of why spoked over cast for adventure riding. Well, that was all in the episode that we did with one of the world's top motorcycle wheel experts. And that's Woody from Woody's Wheelworks in Denver, Colorado, where we learned plenty. Woody from Woody's Wheelworks in Denver, Colorado. I'm Woody from Woody's Wheelworks, enabling technologies Room, uh, vintage restoration of old outboard motors and uh, a few other business. Well, Woody, you're well known in the adventure riding community for, for lacing wheels. Can you tell us exactly what the difference is between the spoked and the cast and why we want spoked? Okay. All right. So first I can, I can tell you, you can take, you know, mag wheels off-road. The big thing is, is that wheel, uh, for instance, is that wheel have a casting that will withstand the rigors of, of going off-road, okay? Most of the castings, especially, for instance, if you have a BMW casting, they're designed so that they can you know, absorb, absorb the energy of a crash and things like that. So when they're straight, they're straight. But Lordy, you know, if you hit a truck hole or something, boom, you know, they bend very easy. And, of course, we can straighten them much easier than with some of the other ones. So you really don't want to have a wheel that goes out there and deforms like that. The other part has a cast wheel has got absolutely zero, what I call, resilience. So what a, a wire wheel has, it has the ability to actually act like a shock absorber, okay? you got to remember the motorcycle is... And that was from the episode Big Wheels, Woody's Wheelworks. And I think that anyone traveling off the beaten track or onto dirt roads or out of the way should understand and learn the skill of changing your tire or repairing your tire, repairing your tube. So we did an episode with David Peterson on just that, tire repair. 
Uh, I'm a strong believer in using a vulcanizing string kit that chemically bonds the string into the carcass of the tire so they become as one. Um, I've seen people use the inexpensive gummy worms and I've seen too many of those fail to recommend them to anybody. As far as the mushroom plugs, I've seen those used too. And you know, there's a certain brand name that I won't mention. Um, we used to sell them. Uh, we found the failure rate was too high. Uh, they're lubricated with motor oil to get them through the insertion tool. And so when they're in the tire, you have a rubber plug that's been lubricated with oil. And if you run over a rock at that point, it pops in the tire, the tire goes flat. So when it comes to tubeless repairs, I'm a firm believer that the only repair you want to use is a vulcanizing string repair kit that chemically bonds that string into the tire to make the most effective repair possible. And of course, Best Rest sells a kit that does just that. We have vulcanizing strings and patches in the same kit. So that kit works on both styles of tires, both tubed and tubeless. That was David Peterson from Best Rest Products talking about um, doing tire repairs and what he recommends as far as plugs go, etc. He's got a lot of experience with tire repairs. So another topic that we talked about was the boot itself that you're riding with. Some people like to ride with a, the motocross boots and, and wear these, you know, the great big heavy-duty boots. Other people just want to ride with their, their hiking boots or some other combination, and some people even ride in running shoes. We talked about that with expert rider and trainer Brett Tax, and he really gave the lowdown on adventure boots, for instance, and what they did for you as a rider. We also covered bike security while traveling, and that was quite interesting because we talked to travelers, experienced travelers who've been out there and traveled the world on their motorcycles, and we asked what they did for bike security, what they found, um, and also what they found there was at risk or what there was to risk. And it came up with some really interesting points, including the one thing that you should have for bike security that's going to cost you next to nothing and seems to be the most important thing to secure your bike. This is Sam Manicom. When, when, we, when you said to me, come on, let's talk about um, bike luggage and, and safety, I sat down and I thought about um, the three different types of environments or situations in the day where you might have to be aware of it. So I made one or two um, notes about it. Well, I split it down into three categories. The first is daytime parking. The second is nighttime city parking. And um, the third was nighttime bush parking. Because those are the three, the three environments that really you're going to find yourself parking up. Um, and for any time, do you need to have an alarm on your motorcycle? Well, I don't bother because um, I've traveled with too many people who um, at three o'clock in the morning, they're drawing attention to the fact that there's an expensive motorcycle because the alarm's going off and annoying the living daylights out of everybody. Um, so I've, I've never used an alarm, but what I do use um, are two different types of locks. I have a D-lock, which um, fits through the, um, the rear suspension and the frame, but I also use a cable lock so that I can lock the bike to a tree or to a lamppost or something like that. And with those two things, I'm normally feeling fairly safe. But I do um, use um, a couple of other different locks. Um, I don't know whether you've been into a hardware shop or into um, a rigging shop uh, in, a, in a marina or something like that, but you can get some fairly thin wire that's plastic covered. 
um, and you can get some grommets so that you can make loops. And what I tend to do is I'll make lengths of these, which I'll just thread through the loose and soft luggage that I've got strapped onto the back of the bike, and I'll lock that onto the bike with um, uh, some small padlocks. Now, anybody who's got a decent set of bolt cutters or, or can either cut through the padlock or can cut through the wire, but... Um, it's a lot of the thefts I think that you're at risk of are not the hardcore villains who are walking around with bolt cutters, but the opportunists. And just by making it um, more difficult for somebody to rip something off the back of the bike with a you know a sharp knife to cut a strap or something, um, I think that you keep yourself um, a lot safer. I had a conversation with Chris Scott. Um, you know Chris who wrote um, Adventure Motorcycle um, Handbook? Yeah. Chris was heading down into Morocco one time and he parked his bike on the ferry, as you do, with all his kit strapped on the back. And when he got back down to the bike, um, when they arrived in Morocco, a whole load of his kit had been um, pinched off the back of the bike. And we were saying, you know, if he'd had just basic um, metal ca plastic covered cables, um, his stuff probably wouldn't have got nicked because the opportunists would have been put off. Yeah, that's that's what I often refer to as the honest thief. You know, they're they're sort of a, I guess, a maybe a lower end thief, and like you say, opportunistic. And and I do the same thing. I have a, a couple of small cables that I have uh, made up just for the the same purpose, and that I run through my soft luggage. And mm -hmm. uh, and I've had people say to me, "Well, that's kind of silly because all you have to do is cut the bag." Well, it's not the idea so much that it's it's definitely going to secure it. It just makes it so that it's just not quite as easy to grab and run. You you once yeah. you introduce something that makes it a little more complicated every time you make it complicated it becomes a deterrent and and you'll never you'll never deter it completely because i mean let's face it people pick motorcycles up even cut chains and cables and all sorts of things and take them but i think that every little step that we do is is just another little deterrent another little notch I, I, that's exactly my attitude. And, you know, there are things around. There's a company called PackSafe that makes wire mesh luggage. And I was looking at something that, just this morning, funnily enough. It's um, a chap who's made something called KitSafe. And I rather like the look of this. And I said to him, um, so what level of security is on this? Because he's talking about paddling, locking it on, onto the bike. And the idea of it is that you're traveling in a hot place and it gives you somewhere that you can take off your bike jacket, your helmet, your hot boots, um, your hot bike trousers, slip on a pair of shorts and your, and your flip-flops, um, yet leave your stuff strapped to the back of the bike and, and safe. I said to him, so is this full of mesh? Because that's going to make it really heavy. And he said, no, it's just made out of two layers of military-grade ballistic nylon. And I said, what on earth is that? And he said, well, this stuff's tough enough that you'd need a really, really sharp knife and um, a cutting board with a considerable amount of pressure to be able to cut through it. And I thought, oh, well, that sounds quite interesting. So um, I'm going to see if I can get hold of something like that just so that I can have a look, you know, serious look at it. Also in 2015, we did off-road school. We had two episodes that we did on off-road schools, and we talked about what it's like to ride your bike off-road, and we got some tips from two of the top trainers in the world, Brett Tax and Simon Pavey. Training goes is Simon Pavey, and you probably know his name as well. We've had him on the show here before. Simon's here today to talk to us about his off-road training school, world-renowned and associated with BMW, accredited by BMW, Born in Australia and now hailing from Wales in the UK, Simon has a massive private acreage set up for his off-road skills training centre, where we caught up with him after a hard day's work. Uh, Simon Pavey here. Uh, our company's called Off-Road Skills, and uh, I think uh, everybody knows pretty heavily associated with BMW. And uh, we're based in South Wales. It's sort of our, our 
yeah, our headquarters. What kind of improvements would somebody expect to to see in themselves when they come out to and take a course? It's it, it is so impossible to explain that because even after all these years, it blows my mind how far people can go from zero in two days and how what they can achieve and what they can do. And I can promise you, every single weekend, single two day course we take people on. If we if we took you to what you will be able to do at the end of the two days, you will go say something quote to me and get back in your car and drive home. You do leave after two days, you know, going from scared of a gravel driveway, if that's your level, you know, obviously some people have some experience when they start to mm-hmm. after two days going, Yeah, I can handle a bike off road, you know. And and everyone's different, you know, some people go away and they can really ride after two days, but Everybody goes away totally changed. It's um yeah, it's incredible. It's really incredible. I have to pinch myself all the time when you you see it. and and you know that's why it's it's a beautiful experience on both sides, both as the student and as a as an instructor, because it's just yeah super rewarding when you see people go from that. And that was Simon Pavey from Off Road Skills from one of our Off Road uh, episodes that we did in 2015. You know, in 2015, we also had Samuel McCora on from the University of Kent who explained rider fatigue. And, you know, that was sort of a, a subject that was out there, I think, as far as adventure motorcycling goes. But it really brought to home the, the whole thought process behind caffeine and the different things we do to keep ourselves alert while riding motorcycles. So uh, another great episode from somebody who had some some really good things to contribute to Adventure Rider Radio. So as we wrap up 2015, we want to thank all of you, our listeners, our guests, our sponsors, wherever in the world you are, whatever your customs or traditions are, whatever you dare to dream, always take the high road. It's been a pleasure, and we look forward to another fantastic year to come. I'm Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and get this, it has a lifetime warranty, which is brand new. Best Rest also makes tire changing and tire repair kits that are small enough to fit in your saddlebag, and the crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves. They know what you need when you're exploring the world visit them at cyclepump.com that's cyclepump.com wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and the final one for 2015. The year is gone, the year is done, and tomorrow we're going to be into a brand new one. As a matter of fact, I think some of the people in Australia might be looking at tomorrow right now. It kind of bends the mind a little, doesn't it? 
Don't forget to drop by our website. Let us know what you think of this episode and all the episodes we've done. Click on our comment button. Send us a comment. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and all the other social media things that we spend at least a little bit of time on. To be honest, we're not spending an awful lot of time on them, but we are doing some stuff. Drop by. Let us know what you think. You have yourself a great year. Looking forward to 2016. Talk to you then. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. And now it's time, if you can, to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. See you next week, next year. Hey, the Adventure Rider Radio stickers are now circulating. You can get yours by dropping by our website and ordering them. They're inexpensive. They're only $5 each. Get one for your gas tank or your pannier. Send us a photograph of where you put them. And don't forget, when those orders come in, those stickers are going out immediately. So get your order in there today. Stop right now, run over to the computer, drop by our website, and get your sticker. Elizabeth Martin. I'm the co-producer here at Adventure Rider Radio, and I'm wishing you a very happy new year.